We're carrying on our series looking at uh, seeing God, ourselves, other people, our circumstances, our futures through the reality of the finished work of the Lord Jesus, the new covenant. And we're continuing our series this week in Romans chapter 8, which pretty much many people say is their favourite book in the Bible. And probably you've seen cups and postcards and posters that take snippets from <coughs> Romans 8. But it's wonderful to take the whole chapter and just get a grasp of what it's talking about. It's an amazing chapter and it starts with this, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it finishes, uh, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. These amazing two bookends that start the chapter and end the chapter. The central theme of Romans 8 really is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the one who uh, empowers us to experience the reality of acceptance, of love, of a life without fear. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us into the future where we're believing for resurrected bodies. You know, there's a salvation part that's coming and it's the Holy Spirit who's gonna do that. And living by the Spirit causes us to live a totally new life, lived out on a radical new footing. So this is incredible good news we're looking at this morning that we've been experiencing and we're going to experience a bit more. To earth what I want to look at, I want to tell you kind of five different stories, kind of case studies of five people who are not living in the reality of no condemnation, and they're not living in the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit empowering them to live a new life on a new footing. And we'll look at these people, then we'll try and answer through Romans 8, the thing they're struggling with. The first person here, and no, no, none of the people refer to anybody here, so I've done my very best to find <laughs> names that do not refer to people here, and if I've made a mistake, it's entirely accidental. I'm not thinking of anybody. First person is a guy called Tony, and he wakes up in the morning just feeling so discouraged, and he feels full of uncertainty and doubt, and he asks himself, am I really saved? Did the prayer I prayed really work? I still feel so guilty. And then there's a lady, Michelle, and she's on the tube on the way home, and and she's kind of reflecting and she's saying, why do I feel so frustrated with my life? I've been told that Christ is enough. And that doesn't really feel true to me. I feel if I'm really being honest with myself, I try to make myself feel better through work and earning money and comparing and competing with other people. I always seem to want more. I feel so bad. I feel like I'm a fake Christian in reality. Sam says to his friend Sally, I can't keep up all the things I'm meant to do. Christianity feels like you've got to spin so many plates all the time and every time a plate drops to the ground, I feel such a failure. And Sally says, I'm like Sam. At first Christianity was really amazing. There was just so much freedom and life, but now I feel really exhausted. And Connor says, 
When I start to speak negatively, I really don't know when it's going to stop. Once I'm in the rut, it can be days of complaining. I feel so guilty. I don't think I can ever change. I don't think that God could really, really love me like this. What do you say to people like this? Do you know people have ever come up to you and said these kinds of things? What do you say to yourself when you see yourself in people like this? This morning we're going to realise again the good news of the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit who is the answer to each of these questions. The first thing we see that each of these people are struggling with is their mind is set on the flesh. Amen. The flesh is really the self-determination. It's the will, it's the kind of ego. I'm going to change myself. It's all about me working hard. And Romans <coughs> chapter 8 and verse 6 says, the mind set on the flesh is death. Not that they're dead and outside of God, is that their experience of spiritual things is a kind of death, lifeless. Each of these people are still in a relationship with the Lord, and they're trying to please God by their own effort. God will love me, Connor thinks, if I change. Sally thinks, if I just keep it all up, he'll love me. It's like they're all looking in the mirror of the law and the law is pointing out failings and shortfalls and weaknesses and sin. And then each of them is trying to clean up themselves by their own effort and determination, which is the flesh. The flesh is human effort minus God. That's a way that we can look at it. And when we do that, it doesn't produce life because Romans 8 will say a mind set on the spirit is life and <coughs> peace. But a mind set on the flesh is spiritual death. And Rochelle did a great job last week of Romans 7. The law can't do the freedom work. It can't change us. The rules can't change us at the root of our nature. It can't take us from being a human being who has fallen short of the glory. It can't bring us and elevate us. It can't change our rebellion against God. It can't take away our reluctance to love God. The law always just gives a guilty verdict. It just will say to Michelle on the, t on the tube, guilty. Yes. To Connor, guilty. Amen. But it can't change them. The law never lifts a finger to help. It just points the finger and points out the shortfalling. It can never <coughs> provide the power of transformation of change. The mindset on the flesh is death. Galatians 3.21 says, If a law had been given that could produce righteousness, then righteousness would have been by the law. Amen. If there was a law that could say, Connor, don't be negative. And Connor went, whoa, not negative anymore. But the law can't do it. It can only point the finger. And so 
Romans 8 gives so much hope to us and so much hope to these people. So these are the things of the gospel to remember. Verse 3. Therefore there is now no condemnation, that's verse 1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Here's the antidote for all of them. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, that's our inability in our own capacity to change ourselves, God did by sending his own son. The law was weakened in the flesh. God did. Because we couldn't do it ourselves. We have to be fully persuaded that we couldn't get ourselves out of the mess we were in. If you think your relationship with God was established because of your right behaviour, you'll spend your whole life focused on trying to be good. Yeah. And that is death. But God did what we could not do for ourselves. He cleaned us up. He cleaned up the mess decisively. He cleaned it up finally. Therefore, there's no condemnation. God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. Something historical in the life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Done. Finished. And then it puts us into a whole new position of a new life of by the Spirit, a new relationship with God by the Spirit. Hallelujah. Just to reinforce, you cannot get a not guilty verdict from the law. It will only point out your shortcoming. Hallelujah. But God achieved what we could never achieve for us. He got us the not guilty verdict. Amen. The no condemnation phrase at the beginning of Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is the legal declaration of acquittal once and for all through Christ and through the cross. It's legal, it's final, it's fixed, it's unmoving. That's why he can say nothing else in all creation will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why it starts with no condemnation, nothing can separate you because God has done what we could not do because we were weak, dead, helpless, lost rebels he did for us legal everything the law was powerless to do because our our weakness our rebelliousness our resistance our self-determination our insubordination our rejection of god our hostility towards god has been done for us tony's not sure about that why he wakes up feeling discouraged, uncertain. Some of us wake up discouraged and uncertain. Sometimes we wake up encouraged and certain because we think our behaviour the day before was good. Some of us wake up like Tony, discouraged and uncertain because we look at the law and feel we've lost our confidence. So how can we know our acquittal is absolute? gospel is not just something on the day you come to Christ, it's for the whole of your life. Yeah. Preach the gospel to yeah. yourself. Yeah. Verse 3, how can we know? God says, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Likeness means fully 100% human being. Yeah. 
and God at the same time. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. Now here it is. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. It's not like in the Old Testament God was a bit uptight and then he gets all relaxed in the new. Ooh, everything goes. I'm just so much. I love people. No, he condemned sin in the flesh. The Old Testament, the prophets are all pointing to Christ's coming. We look back at Christ who came and our confidence, our security, our well-being, our capacity to linger and dwell and enjoy God is because sin has been seriously dealt with. He didn't sweep it under the carpet. Oh, it doesn't matter. Just quite liberal these days. Oh, it's so much easier being God now. It was, I was quite uptight, uptight before, but now I'm just relaxed. No, he condemned sin in the flesh. Christ was sent. God so loved the world, he sent Christ. Incarnation. God became flesh. Incarnation. Carne. In flesh. Chili con carne. Beans in flesh. That's what that is. God became flesh. You can remember that every time you eat chili con carne. It's the incarnation. God became flesh. He looked like us. He got tired and hungry. Probably got ill. But he was sinless in word, deed and thought. So when he died on the cross, he was not dying for his sin. He died for my sin and your sin. So when we forget our legal verdict, our acquittal, <coughs> our present union with Christ, Holy Spirit power for transformation, identity as sons and daughters, intimacy with God, our glorious future, the resurrection of our body, the life of love now, and the capacity to experience all these things through the indwelling of the Spirit. When we forget these things, Christianity becomes increasingly deadness to spiritual things. So we could say to Michelle, Michelle, when Christ died, he died for your love of money and he died for your comparing and competing. He died for your materialism. He died for those things. Connor, Jesus never said a word wrong. He was never negative in speech and he was punished as if he was the worst, worst negative person who ever lived. Sam, Jesus died for your independence and self-reliance. So Romans 8 says, believer, take your eyes off yourself. You've got a father in heaven whose approval of you is absolutely fixed and permanently secured. Now everything for the believer is on a totally different footing. The spirit is in you and you are in the spirit. Verse 9, you you, however, believer, if you're a believer, this is for you. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, in the realm of independence and insubordination and 
determination and law keeping. You're not in the flesh. You're in the realm of the spirit. If, the, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone doesn't have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Which just means like if you're not a Christian here this morning, it can happen in an instant. You can get in Christ. So this is saying this is a new life on a totally new footing. Verse 15. And by him, the spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Verse 15. So this new life, this new footing in a new land called grace is empowered by the indwelling reality of Christ in you and you in Christ, the spirit in you and you in the spirit. It's a life empowered by the spirit. It's a life of bearing fruit. It's a life of love and it's a life in, of freedom, all empowered by the spirit. And so Paul says, in the light of this new footing, in the light of this new life, set your mind on the spirit. Mm. Not on you, Amen. not on your performance, not on trying harder, mm -hmm. not on the law, mm. but on the spirit. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the spirit great preacher gives a great example of what this looks like. Imagine you're in the army and you've been in the army for five years and you've been at the beck and call of your sergeant all the time you're in there when he shouts, do your bed, do your boots, do your collar, make sure it's all starched and neat. You jump, yes sarge, yes sarge. And then comes the day when you're released and you're in your civilian clothes and you're walking out of the barracks and you're walking out of the gate and you know you're absolutely free from the tyranny of the sergeant and you hear a scream. Where are you going, you miserable boy? And you, and you go tight because for three, four, five years you have listened to this sergeant and then you remember. I've been discharged. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to obey that tyrannous voice. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. You're in the realm of the spirit. So now you're setting your mind on a new way of relating. It means to prefer the spirit, to be inclined to dwell upon him, to set your attention on the Holy Spirit, to give yourself over to a humble life of dependence upon the Spirit, a life sustained by the power of God, mm. the mind governed, ruled by the Spirit, Amen. is life Amen. and peace. You're not just a person who's found some better rules than your non-believing friends. When you said yes to Jesus, the Almighty Spirit moved into you. And who is this Holy Spirit? Genesis 1 says, Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface <coughs> of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So who's in you? The mighty Holy Spirit is in you and 
for you and empowering you to live a new life. So as we land, Michelle's on the tube home. Why do I feel so frustrated with my life? I've been told Christ is enough, but that doesn't feel true. I always try to make myself better through work and earning more money and comparing and competing and owning and having and wanting. I feel so bad. I'm such a fake Christian. Romans 8 would say, Michelle, you've got a new life to be lived by the power of the Spirit, by the power of his authority, by the power of the force of God inside you. And Romans 8.13 says, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, all transformation and change is about the person of the Holy Spirit. Transformation and freedom always has a Holy Spirit dimension to it. But he says at the same time, it's by the Spirit, God, in you, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. You set your mind on the Spirit. That's life and peace. You decide. And so there's this putting to death part. The gospel's not casual about stuff. He actually looks at Michelle and says, you're a slave, Michelle. You're a real slave because you, you, you're living in fear. You're, you don't really understand your identity. And Connor, it's true that when you speak like that, that's not leading to life to you, to others and around. The Holy Spirit says, I want to liberate you from that by the power of me and you putting to death these things. And so this verse is saying, don't be passive or casual. Don't be passive or casual. Don't wait for an emotion to get you out. He's saying, put it to death. You need to grab the sword here and you need to slay this thing and put it to death. In this little book Rochelle and I wrote, we quote Graham Cook and he says, the starting point of repentance is often the cold-blooded decision to trust and obey. Graham Cook teaches that the will, will is like the emotions or the desire, is seldom activated into action through feelings or emotions. We must decide to not let our emotions run the show. Emotions will eventually come into line with what we actively will and decide to do. Emotions are not designed to lead. We sometimes get stuck in our growth because of the reality that spiritual growth and comfort don't initially go together. Change can be emotionally painful experience. Growth feels good after, rarely during. Liberty feels good after, but not in the middle of the process. So put it to death. There's intentionality and urgency about the things that stop us living life to the abundance and the fullness. But it isn't human effort minus God. It's God and us in partnership together. 
You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. So let's just get practical. Let's take a few things. One of the things we can do is take the word of God, it's the sword of the spirit, and ask God for a Holy Spirit scripture that's going to become like a sword that you're going to wield through his grace and power to see transformation. For example, for Michelle, it might be Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free, Michelle, from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has personally said to you, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Holy Spirit, make it real to me, she could pray. Bring it alive to me. I don't want to live as a slave. I don't want to live under this captivity. I want to live in the abundance of the freedom that you've got for me. I want to walk by the Spirit. I want to abide with the Spirit. I want to live by the Spirit. I want to remain in love. I want to be intoxicated with the reality that you're with me. And Galatians says that you, the works of the flesh are the opposite to the walking by the Spirit. And so as Michelle says, I'm, I want to, I'm going to walk by the Spirit. I'm going to live by the Spirit. I'm going to trust that this is reality. And it might take time. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Michelle has been living this kind of life. Maybe it's her whole career. Maybe renewing her mind and metamorphosis and transformation is going to take time. Maybe she'll have to remember and review these things daily. But as she comes to the Spirit and says, I'm not going to keep, I'm not looking under the law. I'm not living in any condemnation. Christ died for this, but I want to live practical outworked freedom. <laughs> Holy Spirit, help me. Bring it alive in my experience. Holy Spirit, drive out any discontentment and drivenness from my life. Holy Spirit, I'm wanting to bank on you and your help. Thank you, you're with me. I'm believing and trusting and leaning on your promise. Empower me to take this leap of faith. A leap of faith for Michelle might be saying, hey guys, I'm not going to be doing so much overtime anymore. I'm, I'm actually going to be taking a Saturday off. Holy Spirit might be leading into practical aspects of what repentance looks like. I'm surrendering. I'm having, taking a leap of faith. I'm trusting. I'm depending. Oh, you're never going to leave me. You're never going to forsake me. So there's this taking the sword on a conscious level. Consciously aware of him and his help. But we have to remember that he is at work beyond our understanding. And Romans 8.26 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. Romans 8.26. There's a, there's a, and we've heard that in the song that Rob spoke about this morning. We groan inwardly because there's an incompleteness about our experience of salvation. There's something more to come. We've got this new nature, brand new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. We've got a new footing. We're in the spirit. The spirit's in us, but it's in this body that's groaning because one day this body is going to get a resurrection body. And so Paul puts it like this in verse 23. He says, you've got the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, you've got the deposit, the guarantee it's coming. That Holy Spirit, that person in you is saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's guaranteed, it's coming. 
and we eagerly await the adoption of our to sonship as the complete experience that's the redemption of our bodies. And for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? In other words, we don't yet have this resurrection body. But we hope for what we do not yet hope have, we wait patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So sometimes that's what's happening to the characters in this. We live in a world of emotion and feeling and, and physicality. And, and Michelle is just feeling that. For her it feels that working and buying and having is satisfying her. Because she's in this body. And the Spirit is saying, I'm going to help you in your weakness. He's going to help you in your weakness. Maybe you don't know what to pray. But he's going to even groan through you as an intercessory prayer. Mm -hmm. We have the spirit. We're eagerly awaiting and anticipating completeness. And while we're waiting, we have a Holy Spirit who prays for us. He inspires wordless groaning. He inspires expressions that are too deep for words. Real requests, really detailed and specific. Prayers that we don't understand, but God the Father understands them completely. The Spirit helps us. He takes our incapacity to put words to our pain. He sees and understands that ache in your heart, and he turns it into an articulate request. The Spirit prays for us perfectly. Amen. What we're going to do.